I don't know where Paul went, but my, uh, my Thanksgiving was very rambunctious. Uh, we played uh, four and a half hours of dominoes. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but by the end of it, all I could do was just, I was just looking at these tiles and my brain was just counting. And it just was a little, little I don't know, overwhelming. Um, if that makes any sense. I love the Christmas holidays. Uh, my wife, Chris, and I, we decorated our home yesterday, and uh, it's just very exciting. And a Christian rap group I like came out with a new Christmas album, so what more can you ask for around the holiday seasons? Um, my notes are out of order, so I'll give you just one minute here. All right. Last week, we looked at Last week we looked at uh, the healing of a man at the pool of Bethesda. And my clicker is not working. Um, But last week we looked at uh, the healing of the pool of the man at Bethesda. And we were reminded that um, sometimes when we pray or when we encounter Jesus, uh, we're reminded of these, the multitude of invalids that God, that Jesus was walking through. And this picture that Jesus really made a beeline for this man. And yet he walked through a multitude of people that were in need of healing and he did not heal. We're reminded of the fact that sometimes God does not heal. And I think many of us were struck with this impression of what indeed these things that God has left us with And that even though God sometimes does not heal, someone may be left unhealed, but God redeems the pain or the adversity. Someone may be left unhealed, but God redeems the pain or adversity. That these things that we're left with in life are not uh, left with us for no reason in particular. That God is still at work, even in these things that are not healed. And we're reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he, he writes, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient in you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Paul reminds us that he indeed had a thorn in his flesh, that God had left him with something after pleading over and over again. And yet in his weakness, he was made strong by the power of the Lord Jesus. So we're reminded that God indeed uses us even when we're not healed. He redeems the pain or the adversity. But today we want to concentrate on the man, the one that was healed. So would you pray with me before we begin reading from John chapter 5. 
Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who heals. And God, that you have given us your scriptures to unite us, to worship you, and to remember your power. And so God, that you would move within us this morning, challenge us, show us who you are, and may we learn from this man, from his encounter with Jesus. In your son's name we pray, amen. John chapter five, uh, it reads, after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep pool a gate in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I think it's working now. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who, who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. So there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The first thing we want to notice this morning is the location, the pool of Bethesda. This morning we'll be looking at the location where it happened, the man, the invalid who was healed, a Jesus' word that healed him, and then finally, how do we respond? So the first thing we look, at, we look at is the healing, the pool of Bethesda. Now, this is one of those wonderful times in Scripture where we're reminded that the pool of Bethesda actually exists. It's a real place that really exists, that we've really excavated, that we are indeed dealing with history. Not just that this is some story in a book that we read when we come to church, but that the pool of Bethesda is a real place and that we are dealing with something that really happened, that Jesus truly existed and that he lived and he encountered this man at the pool of Bethesda and that he healed him. I took a class uh, in college. I went to a public university and uh, this class was called Jesus of Nazareth. And even at a, a, pub, a University of California school, a public school, uh, they, he affirmed, our professor affirmed three things about the story of Jesus. One, and these, thing, these are things that are affirmed even outside of the scriptures. Historical documents we have that say that one, Jesus of Nazareth existed, that he truly lived in the first century. Two, that Jesus of Nazareth, he truly died on a cross. And that three, 
the story doesn't end there. Sometimes when I find myself doubting, I remember that Jesus was truly man. He truly existed. He walked the earth. And here he healed this man at the pool of Bethesda. We're dealing with history. Now, unlike some of your pastoral staff, I have not yet been able to visit the pool of Bethesda. But here are pictures, proof that it does indeed exist. What they did was uh, they found it as they were excavating. So uh, people in olden times would build one layer upon another of these important historical sites. And so a church was built on there and then underneath there an older church and underneath there an older church and so on and so forth all the way down to these pools that they discovered where the pool of Bethesda truly exists. That this story helps orient us that we are dealing indeed with history. Secondly, uh, this pool was thought to have healing properties. And not only did it have healing properties, but tradition tells us that it was caused by an angel. So this man, he's sitting by the pool and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, well, yeah, I do, but no one, I can't get into the pool when I need to. So people thought that uh, this pool, when it was stirred up, which could, could have been caused by like an underground spring or it could have been caused by, um, by a supernatural power. But they, they thought that when it was stirred up, the first person to get into the pool would be healed. And so the man said, I can't get in quick enough. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lame. I can't move. So tradition tells us, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Uh, whosoever then uh, first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So this man is saying, I wanted to go in, but I can't. I'd like to be healed, but I can't get in the pool quick enough. And so let's turn to the invalid, this man. This man in need of healing. First of all, we can observe just through thinking of this man's life that the invalid's life was full of pain and hurt. One of the commentaries I read in preparing for this painted a picture of what this man's life would have been like. Could you imagine being paralyzed at a pool, begging for 38 years? And not begging as as a 21st century American on the street, but begging as a first century Mediterranean citizen. 38 years was a long life for a normal person. But to have this malady, to be, to be paralyzed, he would have been dirty, unclean, the bottom rung of society. The invalid's life was clearly full of pain and hurt. And yet this man was not just in need of physical healing. He was in need of spiritual healing as well. Later on, Jesus says to him, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus first heals him physically, and then he heals him spiritually. Sometimes when we encounter passages like this in Scripture, we're left with the question of, does this man's sickness or uh, uh, his, whatever is causing him to, to be paralyzed, is that a result of sin? And so let me affirm that sickness can sometimes have to do with sin, 
but not always. Sickness can sometimes have to do with sin, but not always. I think we can all think of ways of living your life that could lead to both sickness and sin. That there are lifestyles that we can lead that would both be sinful and get us sick or injured or, um, or diseased. So there are ways in which sickness can sometimes have to do with sin, but it doesn't always. Uh, John affirms this later in chapter 9 as he's healing yet another man. His disciples asked him, he says, and he, as he, uh, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus affirms, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned and it was somehow given to him through blindness, but it's that God's works may be displayed. And so this man is in need of healing, both physically and spiritually. He's at a place of healing, and yet we will see shortly, God chooses not to use the pool. And so the healing, it's at Jesus' command. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. You see first that Jesus does not use the pool. God's works are magnified at the pool of Bethesda, but they're not magnified through the pool of Bethesda. They're magnified through the word of Jesus. It's at the word of Jesus that he is healed. At his word alone. Friends, I can think of my own life. And that once I was a sinner, separated from God, and yet at his word, I placed my faith and trust in him, and he united me. That through Jesus, I have a relationship with the king of the universe. I have not personally experienced a miraculous healing such as is written in John chapter 5, but I have experienced a miraculous spiritual healing. That without the Lord Jesus, I would have nothing. At his word, I became his son. I was identified as his son. It's at Jesus' word. God doesn't, need, God doesn't use the pool because he doesn't need to. And in fact, he gets more glory when he doesn't use the pool. We're reminded of this healing that took place in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. At Jesus' word, the man is healed. Or the boy is healed. At his word. I'm reminded of Psalm 115.3 where it says, Our God it is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. God lacks no power. It's a big word uh, that we use called omnipotence and it just means that God is all powerful omnipotence means that God lacks no power he lacks no power uh, to heal the man in John chapter 5 and he lacks no power to heal today 
God lacks no power. He, he is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And in fact, not only does God heal this man, but he doesn't even initially address the sin issue. It's only as the man comes back to him that he says, see, you're healed. Sin no more. It speaks to the kindness and the love of God that Jesus would heal this man and yet leave us with doubt of whether this man is, becomes a disciple or becomes a follower of Jesus. At the very end of this story, uh, we read that this man goes off and he tells the Jews who healed him. Now, we don't know whether this man became a follower of Jesus, but I, I'm almost left with the impression maybe he wasn't, if he was telling the Jews who Jesus was. But the whole point, it doesn't matter. Jesus heals him anyway. That God lacks no power. So finally, as we come this morning, we want to be able to respond. So how do we respond to the healing? We respond by knowing that God can and does heal. God can and does heal. Reminded in this story that God has healed in the Bible and still does today. I think oftentimes I'm tempted when I read a story like this to say, wow, praise you, God, for showing me that you once healed a man who was lame. And yet not remembering and not realizing that God does indeed heal today. I think many of us have friends or relatives that can point to an illness or a sickness that the doctors don't have, a, have an answer for. And whether or not we can point to a sickness, I think many of us can point to our own hearts and say, yes, God has healed me. God has healed me. God heals us really three ways, mind, body, and soul. God can heal spiritual, emotional, and physical pain and brokenness. God can heal all three of those. I was struck by the fact that as Jesus was walking to this man, it wasn't the man who initiated the conversation, it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? God is constantly the actor. God is the one initiating things. God is the one doing the healing. God can heal us, mind, body, and soul. Spiritual, emotional, and physical pain and brokenness. So how do we respond this morning? As we move into a, a time of worship, we're going to ask that God would heal. James 5 tells us, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This morning, after I uh, conclude with prayer, our elders will be forward uh, in the middle and the left and the right, and they'll have little vials of oil. And what we're doing this morning is we are stepping into what uh, God has commanded us through uh, the epistle of James. 
We're asking that if you are sick, to ask God for healing. The elders uh, will greet you. They'll exchange names. Uh, They'll let you know who they are. And they'll ask you. They'll say, how can we pray for you? And then they will pray for you. And then they'll ask you if you'd like to be anointed with oil. And the oil is nothing mystical or magical. We're simply stepping into what God has asked us to do. The oil is a physical symbol of the healing power of God. It's a physical symbol of the healing power of God. It's that forward uh, faith step of saying, God, I trust that you can do this. I trust that you uh, don't lack any power. And I'm asking you to heal. It's both a step of faith and it's an ask. Not only do we trust that God has the power to heal, but we're asking that he would. So there's three ways, I think, that we can think about what God may need, in our, what, what he, types of healing we may need in our life. Perhaps this morning you are in need of spiritual healing. Perhaps you've never placed your faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you recognize that there is a God who loves you very much. He wants a relationship with you. Would you come forward and ask for God to heal and be anointed with oil? Perhaps you're in need of emotional healing. Perhaps there's something that you've been living with for so many years. Something in your heart or in your mind that persists. That happened a long time ago or that happened recently, but it still affects how you work in this world. You know that it's brokenness. I would invite you to come forward and ask God to heal and be anointed with oil. Perhaps, too, it's a physical pain. Perhaps it's a disease or a sickness or a malady, something that's just persisted, some sort of pain. Would you come forward and ask God to heal and be anointed with oil? Remember, friends, God lacks no power. He lacks no power. It's not the oil or it's not the prayer that heals you. It's God. It's not me preaching. God lacks no power. He's able to do it. And the oil is us placing our faith and trust in him. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Friends, as we worship this morning and as we respond by asking God to heal and being anointed with oil, my question for you is do you want to be healed? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are a God who lacks no power. That you are omnipotent. God, that you have demonstrated your greatness to us in so many ways. 
that you've united with us through the Lord Jesus, that you've given us life everlasting. And God, that you have given us stories in Scripture where you healed men and women. And God, that we know that you still heal today. So God, we ask that you would be present in this moment, present as we respond and worship, present as we respond and trust. And God, that we would love you and cherish you and know who you are. In your son's name we pray, amen.